That was the shortest intro video I've ever seen. <laughs> All right, so how many of us in life have gone through uh, different seasons, seasons where we feel like we have struggled, seasons that were difficult, seasons that felt almost like you're a little bit worthless, ones where you look back on the things that you've done and you just feel like you have screwed things up. Seasons where we felt like we've just messed up so bad that we're actually yesterday's news in God's mind. If you've ever had that kind of season, which I have and so many of us have, then this message today is for you. Maybe you've wanted to have a real impact on this world, but you didn't know how or you didn't know where to start in your walk with the Lord. And all these questions, they're extremely important questions, but they kind of grow null and void when we look at what it means to abide in the vine of Jesus Christ. Now, this past week, I was doing some research. I love reading and I love hearing what different pastors have to say about different topics. And I came across this pastor who talked about these, this cluster of trees. This cluster of trees is extremely important. It's, it's named or nicknamed the Pando tree. You can see it right here, gorgeous. It's golden. It's in Southern Utah. And um, it's an amazing cluster of trees, which is just a really ridiculous thing to say, right? An incredible cluster of trees. These trees, they're actually the largest single organism in the entire world. They're, they're the largest single organism. When we think of a single organism, we think of like a, a whale, but these are the largest single organism in the entire world. And when you look at them, you think that this is just a bunch of individual trees, that they're just one tree after another, but there's something really interesting about these trees, the source of its strength, you cannot see. What, what lies below all of these individual stalks of trees is this immense root system that connects every single one of these. And so this is not a bunch of individual trees. This is actually genetically the exact same tree multiplied in different location. And underground, there's this root system in this pando tree that actually connects all of them. And, and it's actually this root system that causes this group of trees to be extremely resilient. It's, it's survived forest fires. It's survived uh, drought. And for thousands of years, this group of trees has existed as one single tree. But what's interesting, do you know what happens when you actually cut the root system to one of these trees? Eventually, it starts to die off. It's disconnected from the root. It cannot survive any longer. Being connected is so extremely important in our lives and in our walk with God. Last week, I love that um, Corey opened up th this new series, or two weeks ago, he opened up this new series, and he opened up John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. We see that our Savior is a serving and a loving and a kind Savior. And then in John 14, we see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is no way outside of Jesus. Some of you guys might not know this, but Corey and I, uh, we go way back. We've been best friends for almost 18 years now. And, you know, we traveled in a band together. We have some of our absolute favorite best memories of that season of life. And so seeing him grow as a, as a preacher and seeing him grow as a pastor for me is so encouraging to see where we were when we were stupid 14-year-olds to where the Lord has us now. But I want you to know as a church, 
as a church, you are so incredibly blessed to have pastors both like Dustin and like Corey leading this church. And, and as I, I, I mean, I've known these guys for a very, very long time. And one of the things that I think is so special, what makes them truly, deeply incredible leaders is this, that the person you see on stage, that's the exact person you see behind the curtain. There's not one person up here and then one person, when they're behind closed doors, there is one, you know, one person you see, there's consistency in their character. And I think that there's a reason that there's consistency in their character and that reason is this, that they make it their daily aim to abide in the vine. Abiding in the vine means the world when we're talking about our faith. And so today that's what we're talking about, abiding in the vine, looking what it looks like in our lives to be so deeply connected to the Lord that the things that start to break the heart of God, we see a shift in our own hearts and they start to break our hearts the same way they break God's hearts. Or we see a shift in our affection of the things that cause the Lord joy, they start to make our own souls rejoice and sing praise to the God of the universe. And I think that's something that we all want. We all in this room want the heart of God if you have been transformed by the grace of Jesus. But if we're honest, I would say there are definitely times where I look down into the window of my own soul and I see kind of the state of my heart and I go, God, why don't I rejoice in the things that you rejoice in? God, why don't I have the same kind of sorrow that you have over the brokenness of sin? And so if you're like me, you sometimes struggle to have the same heart that God has. And this is, this is the sin that's affected us in our flesh and it affects our emotion. But for us today, I wanna help kind of take this, this mission of, of bringing up the disease to us so that you and I can take our sin-sick souls to the only surgeon who can do anything with our heart's affections. Jesus Christ is the answer to us abiding in the vine. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. It's a, it's a little bit of a long text, so get your knees ready. John 15, verse 1 through 17. It says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father's loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept the father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master's doing. But I've called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. 
You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, our, our heart's aim is to abide in you. We want to abide in you, Lord. You, you are the only one, though, that can turn our hearts from the things of this world to being turned towards you. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. God, would you do what we can't? Would you do what's impossible for us to do on our own and shift our hearts from the things of this world to you? Lord, we love you and we're so thankful You've given us your Holy Spirit to convict us and that that conviction is your love and your kindness towards us. And so we trust you today, God. It's in your name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. So here's the first thing that we see in our text today. Keep your Bibles out. We're gonna pretty much stick in this one text, John 15. But we see the first thing is that there are true and there are false vines. Jesus says it, I am the what? The true vine, I am the true vine. He says, you're already clean. So why would Jesus need to say this? Why would Jesus need to say that he's the true vine? Why even make that kind of distinction? I think it's because all throughout world history, ever since Adam and Eve, all throughout world history, there has been an enemy and that enemy has been offering humanity false vines. There's a true vine, and there's a false vine. And now when I think of false vines, immediately, you know, my mind just kind of instantly goes to other world religions. Other world religions where people have kind of trusted in these lowercase g gods and not the true God. And what did Corey remind us last week? He told us that there is only one way to heaven. There is no other way outside of Jesus Christ. And so when I look at these two texts together, John 14 and John 15, I'm looking at this going, okay, every other religion, every other way is a false vine if it is not Jesus. But today in America, I don't think that other religions are necessarily the biggest threat to the next generation. I think the biggest threat to the next generation, these false vines that have emerged is this this false vine of extreme personal autonomy. You're gonna hear this over the next couple years, but but if you look on the, the landscape of the internet today, extreme personal autonomy, it's this kind of self, this false religion of like self worship, saying that you and I are perfect as we are in ourselves, that we don't need to look without, we don't need to look outside of ourselves for perfection, we need to look within ourselves for goodness and for beauty. And I love doing this thing where I can search the internet and find just the absolute worst quotes in the world. And so I gathered some of, the, some of those for us. It says this, here are just a few quotes that kind of embody this new movement of thought. It says, doing what you love is the cornerstone of having abundance in your life. Here's another one. I do not believe in making the right decision. I make a decision and I make it right. Gosh, if only it were that easy. Here's another one, it says, love yourself first and everything else falls into line. You really have to love yourself to get anything done in this world. I know that person is not married. (laughs) And here's kind of one that really, really embodies this, this, this idea. 
Walk as if you are enough. Eat as if you are enough. See, look, and listen as if you are enough because you are enough. This is what the world is throwing out, not only to the younger generations, but to all generations. The landscape online is spewing these types of lies. But do you see how insidious this is? It looks so good. Like we were created to, to feel good for these types of things. This, this, this thing that we're seeing all across the landscape of the internet, it feels good, but it's a half-truth. And what do we know about half-truths? They lead us down paths of destruction. They lead us down paths of destruction. These truths, which are so incredibly dangerous, what they're actually doing is they're agreeing with something. The reason why I call them half-truths is because they're agreeing that we were created in the image of an almighty and majestic God. Genesis 1.27 calls it the, the imago Dei. We were given this, this divinity within us made in the image of God, but it doesn't actually deal with the issue of sin. It doesn't deal with the fall. Simon Blocker, he's a, a writer, speaking of this kind of reality, this tension between the imago Dei and the fallen nature of man, he says, this, I love this quote. He says, man is by nature not as he was when God created him. A vast devastation has struck him. Nevertheless, he's great in his ruins like a glorious, glorious cathedral after a bombing sinful man still displays the grandeur which was his when he first stood on the earth as created in God's image. That's such a beautiful quote he, he's saying you are there's this beautiful cathedral but there is still the problem of sin and so there's these false vines all over the place those false vines of the radically autonomous the self-accepting the morality shifting the the man-centered worshiping those people they cannot answer the problem of sin and they're trying to live in this reality of the pre-fallen world without the full truth that mankind is broken, that the cosmos was shifted when Adam and Eve sinned. The false vines, they cannot answer the deepest questions in life. And so Jesus here, he's saying he's the true vine. He's saying, I am the better way. I am the only way. And that truth that Jesus is talking about, it's not just for those who are buying into the modern philosophy of our day, it's also for those of us sitting here in the church. Do you guys realize this? We can trust so many false vines. How many of us, when I talk about, you know, kind of the postmodern movement, we hear this and we say, yeah, I would never be like those people. I would never trust those false vines. But, but Jesus dealt with these type of issues, not just with those who were pagans of the world. He dealt with the mentality of the religious people of his day. So what are the false vines that you and I believe? What are the things that we can get tripped up in while we're sitting here in the pews of the church? Sorry, we got rid of our pews. In the wonderful new comfortable chairs of our church. I think one of the main false vines that, that we believe as regular church attenders is we believe that our church attendance actually makes us a Christian. 
We believe that the church attendance actually makes us a Christian. That coming here and, and sitting in these seats that you gotta realize is that does not make you a believer any more than me going to Wrigley Field and sitting in the baseball stadium makes me a baseball player. I don't have a bunch of time in my notes for this, but there's these two ideas, the visible and the invisible church. And Jesus is dealing with this issue. Let me, uh, let me explain, I shouldn't just mention it and not explain it. The visible church is all of us sitting in this room. The invisible church are those who are actually in Christ Jesus. Now verse two tells us what will happen to those who are sitting in, in the seats and don't have a real affection shift for the Lord, aren't actually within Christ. He says that those who don't bear fruit will be pruned. Now I love this. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty depressing thing, right? But I love this. I think the church has been going through, the church in America has been going through this great pruning season where cultural Christianity is actually dead. And I think that this is actually for the better of the church because the lines are now more clear than ever who's in and who's out, who's actually a part of Jesus and who's just kind of going by in their life. There's not really a benefit anymore to being a believer in the culture around us person sitting in a seat without any real shift in their heart's affection for the Lord that just doesn't exist all that much anymore and, and so I'd imagine just just you know walk with me here I'd imagine that there are less people who ended up in hell surprised that they're there because they're like Jesus what happened I, I was in your church I sat in the pews I sang your songs Jesus and he says depart from me I never knew you and so this pruning season for the church I think is a great season because those who are trusting in, and here's a big big word for you those who are trusting in this moralistic therapeutic deism that that being a good person is is going to cause you to be saved the verse tells us there's some beautiful things that happen as a result of a pruning season what does it say says that after this pruning season, you'll bear more fruit. You will actually bear more fruit. And here's why I say, I'm excited for the pruning season that the church has gone through because I look at my son's generation, I see the Janney boys, I see the Hickle boys, I see the Cooper kids, I see my kids and I go, God is going to do so many incredible things for you because cultural Christianity is dead and you have to be fully on fire, fully given over to the king. So I'm so excited to see what God does in the global church through their generation after this season of pruning. I think we're gonna see real revival. Now, I would love for Jesus to return tomorrow. But if he doesn't, I'm praying that through this next generation of kids, there is a real revival for gospel-driven, Christ-centered worship within the church. And so here we say this, I think being in church, that's obviously a great start, but I, I do fear, I fear for those who've sat in church all their lives with deaf ears to the gospel, thinking that they would go to heaven because they are a good person. So how do we know that this text we're reading today is, is not a salvation thing, this is a connection thing? 
Verse two tells us that we will bear fruit. You see, this is point number two of the sermon. We must, as God's real people, the actual invisible church, we must bear fruit. If you are in Christ, your life has no option other than to bear fruit. That doesn't mean you're sinless. That doesn't mean it's easy, but you will bear fruit. Again, let me kick this dead horse as hard as I can. Being good does not save you because here's how we know. The clues, Jesus even gives us the clues in this text because if you've ever... I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna dog on any other denomination. If you have been in other churches, you've heard this kind of text used to say, if you're a good person, you will go to heaven. But Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You're already clean. You're already within the gospel. Hear this, Christian. Once you are in Jesus Christ, you have the full righteousness of God on your account. You literally cannot do anything to get God to love you any less. It doesn't matter how good you are, how many amazing things you do. God doesn't look at you and go, oh, I love you so much more. And on the days where you screw up, the days where the door is locked, you do that foolish thing, the days where you just totally blow apart your family, if you are in Christ, Jesus does not look at you any less. God does not look at you any less because you have been given the perfect, full righteousness of Jesus. And so today, that's all setting up the message for today. Today we're talking about what it looks like to be connected to God, not just to be what what it is to be saved by God. This fruit that we're talking about while we abide in the vine, this fruit is here because you are already saved. It's not causing you to be saved, but this is fruit that is, is proof that you are actually in the vine. But in order to be in the vine, we have to reject the false vines of our day and we must accept the true vine that is Jesus. So how do we bear fruit? The answer is in John 15, verse four. He says, abide in me. And I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so here's Jesus' answer. Here's the answer to how do you actually bear fruit in life. Jesus says, abide. Abiding is the answer that Jesus gives, the only way that we can bear fruit in this life. Now, the Oxford Dictionary defines abiding. It's a pretty simple definition. It just says, abiding is living or dwelling within something. Now, if we take Jesus' words literally here, that's a strange thing to say, right? Jesus says, abide in me. That's a, that's a, Okay, Jesus, that's a weird thing to say because when I hear abide in me and I take it at its absolute most literal context right here, I think of Luke Skywalker cutting open the tauntaun. All my nerds rise up, let's do this. I think of Luke Skywalker getting into the tauntaun and living and dwelling within that thing, keeping safe from the cold outside and the empire strikes back. I think that's a strange thing for someone to say. Abide in me. It's like when, is it, was it Nicodemus when he meets up with, with Jesus? And he's like, tell me what you mean by born again, bro, because I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus says some things, but a picture that Jesus is painting here 
and the scriptures have painted over and over and over throughout the Old and the New Testament is this, this person, this idea of taking refuge in God of taking refuge in Christ. It's this idea of a person inside of a a castle or a strong tower. It doesn't matter what's going on outside of the castle. It doesn't matter if there's war. It doesn't matter if there's famine. It doesn't matter. If you are in the refuge of the castle, you are safe. I love this verse. I, I bring it up all the time in my preaching because it's just, there are so many different refuges. Is that a word? Ref, refgi, that we might trust that are not the actual refuge that is Jesus Christ. Proverbs 18.10, it says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. For us, there is no safer place, no safer place for the Christian than abiding in the true vine that is Jesus, reminding ourselves that Jesus created all things. And so when Jesus is present, there is real safety. But this text, it goes so much further than that. It doesn't just stop at safety. It goes into actual human flourishing, which is beautiful that our God doesn't just want to keep us safe. Our God wants us to do well in this life. Now, in my backyard, we just redid it. It's beautiful right now. You should come over and hang out. In my backyard, there's this peach tree now, if you don't know anything about peach trees, especially in Florida, nine months out of the year, they're just kind of sticks. That's all it is. It's just, it's sticks for my kids to break and poke each other, lose their eye, go to the hospital. That's what that tree is for. But a few times a year, one time a year actually, it sprouts these beautiful, beautiful flowers. And these beautiful flowers, they turn into amazing, ripe peaches. I don't know if that's actually like botany-wise how it works. Don't correct me. Also, don't think I'm dumb. But these beautiful flowers turn into these amazing, ripe, juicy peaches, and they're so good. It's like one of my favorite times of year where these things actually come out, but there's times where I'm in the kitchen and I'm kind of doing the dishes, I'm cleaning everything up, and I'll look outside and I'll see birds on our peach tree. They're kind of pecking at the fruit, and I'll go out there and I'll, I'll, like a crazy person, swish them all away. But that's not the only threat. Sometimes I'll, I'll turn one over and there's bugs on it and they're eating it away and, it, and it's rotting. That's the fruit in our lives. But here's the thing. If I didn't protect this tree, if I didn't go out, if I didn't spray it with chemicals that are probably gonna kill us as we eat these peaches, <laughs> this tree would rot away. The fruit would fall, it would rot but I am there and I protect this tree, making sure that its fruit grows and it is the exact same way for us with our heavenly father. He is both our protector and our provider. He watches over us. He produces this fruit, this fruit within us. Jesus literally says here, I am the vine. He says that if we're disconnected from him, we can do nothing. We are absolutely useless unless we are deeply connected with him the vine, which should be convicting. How many of us, we we wake up in the morning, we make our coffee, our sweet, slow drip, beautiful coffee, and then we go into work, we go throughout our day, we get back home at the end of the day, having dealt with all of the stresses of life, our heads hit the pillow, and not for a single second did we stop and connect with the Lord. 
I've been there, so don't feel like you're the only one. I'm there all the time, and and I sit in my bed with conviction in my heart going, Lord, why do I live this way? You're offering to me real connection with the God of the universe. Why do I live this way? And in our fast-paced world, where everything is happening with instant gratification, instantly the moment you want something, our souls are growing more and more averse to actually slowing down, slowing down enough to connect with the author and the perfecter of our faith. Church, hear this. Without a connection to Jesus, you are literally a car sitting in the mud, spinning your wheels, going nowhere fast, frustrated and unable to do anything. But verse five gives us hope. What does it say? Let's read it. John 15, verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you wanna bear fruit in your life, you must be connected to the true vine that is Jesus Christ. So what does abiding look like? Jesus here gives us a a bit of a clue. He says it looks like keeping the commands of Jesus. If we want deep connection with God, we do have to keep the commands of Jesus. But here's the beautiful news. As we keep those commands, we are offered real joy and real happiness. Now, I wanna see hands in this auditorium. Who actually wants to be happy in life? Yes, We were built with this deep desire, this good God-given desire to have real joy, to have real happiness, and there is only one place to find it, in the vine. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Here it is, Here's here's the clue. These things I've spoken to you that my what? My joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The only place to have full joy is in the vine. I, I, again, want to circle back. This is where the people will take this out of context because it talks about following the commands of God being the thing that makes you abide in the vine. And they'll say, see, see, John, you're lying. I told you, we are saved by works. Jesus says, if you want to keep my commands, You'll abide in my love. But again, that is taking this text out of context. Jesus says, you are already clean, already made right because of the words that Jesus has spoken to us. And so this if-then statement, once again, it's put on, our, uh, on the front burners. We've got to keep this on the front burners. This is about connection with God and not about salvation. And this just makes sense. This is like a relational rule of life. Talk to any husband in this room. If your wife has a, well, we won't use the word command. If your wife has a, a need or a want, some of you might feel like it's a command. Not me, honey, I love you. If, you, if your wife expresses needs or, or, or wants and you keep those needs and want and you fulfill those things, it's just a simple law of relationship. You too will be drawn closer together. Now, there are times where I need to deeply remind my soul of this. But as you do the thing that the other person wants, you grow closer together. That's just a simple law of relationships. And it's the same way here with our relationship 
with the Lord, keeping the commands of Jesus. It's kind of proving that we are abiding in the love of Jesus. It's connecting us deeply to the heart of Christ. And, and, and so therefore, like, do you want a real deep, a real profound connection with him? We must be people that keep his commands. And what I love, what I love about the Bible, when we're told what the greatest commandment is, do you know what the command we need to follow is? It's not do all these right things, be all this type of good person. It's this, Deuteronomy 6.5. The greatest command in the Bible to love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You see, Jesus is more concerned with the nature and the position of your heart than he is with the actions of your hands. Now, don't get me wrong. I know some of you winced in your soul when I said that. Don't get me wrong. Your hands matter. Doing right with our hands, it matters, but that, that right doing comes as our hearts are shifted in the right way for the Lord, scripture tells us in order to have good, working, well-working hands that are not for our own glory but are for the glory of God, we must have our hearts abiding in the vine. And so what, what does that look like as we turn our hearts to the Lord in love and, and that, that turning of our heart kind of works itself through our minds, our hearts, and it works itself out into our hands. Scripture tells us those who obey abide in Christ. And the cool thing is, when, when we abide in Jesus, the scripture says you will be the happiest you could possibly be. You will be the happiest you could possibly be as you are abiding in the vine, obeying Jesus Christ. Again, there's just so much garbage out in this world that's telling us if you do anything other than what Jesus wants, that's the only way you'll be happy. It's the same thing as my kids. I put rules in front of them and they're like, dad, you're such a, they don't say buzzkill, thank the Lord. But they're like, dad, why are, you, why are you putting all this stuff in front of us, man? You don't want us to have fun. And I'm like, no. If you abide in these commandments, you'll literally continue to exist because there are cars in this world that want to take you out all the time. Verse 11 tells us that we, as, as God's people, if we abide in the vine, we will be the happiest people on this planet. He says in verse 11, <clears throat> these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The lie that people say that doing anything other than what Jesus wants, that, 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 that could not be further from the truth. I've also seen this lie that people say, I just spit everywhere, wow. Uh, I've also seen this lie that, that people say that Jesus is not a happy person, that he's stoic, that he's calm all the time. Do you really think that the author of joy is not filled with joy? Do you think that the author of laughter did not sit with his disciples and enjoy a deep gut belly laughter with his friends? I don't know where this idea came up with, where this concept of Jesus being this emotional statue of a man, I don't understand where it is. Jesus had joy, he created joy, he knew about joy, even in the face of the cross. The Bible says that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, and here Jesus tells us, 
that our abiding life, living connected to the vine, that's where real joy is to be had. And it's not a worldly joy that brings sorrow about. How many of you, I don't raise your hands right now, how many of us have gone through that season where we believed the lie that this one thing was gonna bring us joy and at the end of our road, it brought only sorrow, it brought only shame, it's like the prodigal son as he's going out, he thinks this is, this is what's gonna make me happy if I leave my father and I go do whatever I want in the world with his money. And then he comes to himself. Sin entangles us. It, it brings our lives down into its foolishness. But the joy of the Lord in this holy and right living life is good. It's a, it's a deep joy that it actually gives us a, a glimpse of the fully satisfied life that you and I will live every single moment as our feet touch the grounds of heaven. Abiding in Jesus is the only place for true happiness, for true joy. And Jesus is offering us that today. See, what blows my mind is that you and I, <laughs> if we're honest, we've trusted every other false vine available. And our, our sinful little souls latch onto any false vine that we can find. And we've been given this offer by Jesus to abide in the Son of God. And this, every ounce of this is the work of Christ in us. You and I provide nothing. God provides everything. Even, even this opportunity, this opportunity to have a relationship with God, even Jesus produces that in us. He provides that in us. Read it. I don't know what your theological position is on all of this, but if you read John 15 and 16, it says this, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask my father in my name, he may give it to you. Again, here's what I find <laughs> just the most profound thing about the gospel. Not only does Jesus make a way for us possibly to have a relationship with, uh, with him, he draws us in so that we will have a relationship with him. And then he doesn't stop there. He sustains that relationship so that we will continue in him until our final day. And then he doesn't stop there. He says forever, forever, for the rest of eternity, you will be in my presence where there is full joy, where there is full satisfaction. I don't deserve that kind of love. You and I, we don't deserve this kind of love. I have betrayed my savior in every way possible. I look like Peter who denounces Jesus more times than I can, than I can count. And yet still, still in this text, we see that God still chooses sinful people. And he draws us close to his heart. And he says that he loves us. Not only that, he says, you're not a servant anymore in my kingdom. You're my what? My friend. Church, let's say that out loud. You are my? You're my friend. You're not a servant 
in the kingdom of God. If you have been washed in the blood of Jesus, you're not a slave in the kingdom of God. You're not somebody who's, who's a side partaker. You are now a friend of Jesus. And that savior is offering you this opportunity to abide in him, that your joy would be full. So I wanna kind of wrap a bow on all this with just a bit of a practical practical teaching. I'm much more of a why preacher than I am a practical teacher. And so I kind of want to walk into that. I want us to get some practical uh, teaching here. You're probably wondering, like, how do we actually abide in the vine? John, you literally asked that question 12 times in this sermon. Tell me, John, tell me how to abide in the vine. Abiding in the vine looks like living in Christ. And I think the most helpful way to think about this, yes, there's always the reading the Bible, there's always praying, there's meditating on scripture, there's corporate and private worship, corporate and private prayer. Those things are essential. You will not abide in the vine if you are not practicing the disciplines of the faith. But I wanna end with going just one level deeper. One level deeper from what you should do to where your heart needs to be to do this. I think abiding in the vine looks like a moment by moment reorientation of our hearts toward the Lord. I learned this by reading a theologian of the past. He has, it's called the rule of life. And he said that every day he would order his entire day around the presence of Christ. And that, that regular, he'd stop, he'd pray, he'd meditate, and he would remind his heart that there is more in this world than what we can see. There's more in this world than what we can feel or what we can taste because our hearts, if we're honest, our hearts are idol-making factories. They are so quick to find any other false vine and just give it all we got. We're so quick to forget that Christ created this world and the, even the fruit within us, that's the fruit that Christ is producing and that we're working for a kingdom that is not our own kingdom. We are working for the kingdom of Christ. So we must moment by moment reorient our hearts around this. It is needed because we are such selfish people at our core. Maybe not you, I know for sure I am. And I need a daily, moment-by-moment moment reorientation of my heart to remind me that life is not about me. Even the scriptures in our modern day, the teaching in the American church is that God is all about you, but he's not. You're important, but you're not the point. The Bible is about the glory of God. The Bible is a story about how we screwed everything up and God was faithful even when we were faithless. Jesus tells us in this text, we don't have time for it. He tells us this text is there to reorient us, to tell us to love other people. The only way that you and I can love other people as they truly deserve to be loved is by moment by moment pleading with our hearts that Jesus Christ is the king and we are not. Like I said, prayer is important. Meditation on the scriptures is important. Fellowship, worship, those things are important and you will not grow unless you have them. But we need to be aware of the problem. The problem is the orientation of our heart. And we need God to help us. And so there's a lot. There's a lot of false vines out in this world. 
A lot of false vines wanting to draw you in. They're offering you everything, but they deliver on nothing. And we serve Jesus, the one who offers everything and delivers on more than we could ever ask or imagine. So the question you have to ask yourself today, would you rather abide in the vines of the world or would you rather abide in the son who gave his life for you? Would you rather spend your time getting all the wealth you can and all the power you can and having all the pleasure that you can or would you rather spend your time abiding in the true vine that is Jesus? That's the only way, Christian, that you are going to produce fruit in this life. It is only when we're deeply connected with the, 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 the life-giving, faith-sustaining, fruit-producing, heart-shaping gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you abide in that vine? We're studying these final words of Jesus. He's going to the cross. Final words are the most important words that anybody could have. I don't know if you've ever sat at the deathbed where somebody's literally about to go meet the presence of Jesus and you go, just tell me. Tell me what's your last word. What's that one thing you want me to walk away with? Jesus is telling us one of the last words is abiding in me. And if we take those words seriously, to abide in Jesus, those will transform our our daily connection with the Lord, which will transform the fruit that we produce, which will ultimately transform the world that we live in. So tomorrow morning, when you're waking up, ask yourself this question. First thing, who am I abiding in today? Am I abiding in the world, chasing after the things of the world, or am I abiding in the life-giving vine? of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, again, our our, our prayer. God, we can't do any of this without you. Lord, you are, (laughs) you are the one that produces the fruit in us. And God, we want to follow your commands, but we're so fickle in our hearts. We're so quick to forget that we want what you want. We're so quick to remind ourselves of all the selfish things that we want. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, myself included, my own wicked heart included, God, would you have mercy on us? Would you shift our heart's affection from the things of the world and set them on you? Lord, produce in us the fruit of abiding. And we'll give it all we have, but but it's impossible. Without you, again, without you, we can do nothing. So Lord, help us. And God, I pray that we would just have hearts that are so grateful that you don't call servants anymore, you call friends. And you're a friend that wants to produce fruit in our lives. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. If you guys would stand for worship.